0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. You guys enjoying this fall weather? Oh, my goodness. Is this, like, unusual or what? I mean, very seldom do we get actually fall weather here in the desert, do we? But we got, got it, and it's 60 degrees on my back porch this morning, and absolutely beautiful. My wife and I went out a couple days just to kind of celebrate this change of weather. We went out and uh, had a maple pecan latte. I'm convinced that's going to be in heaven. <laughs> it was good with the cool weather and so yeah, good good stuff. Um, here's a quick question for you before we kind of dive into our study. Who's going to win the Monday night football game, Cardinals or the Cowboys? Cowboys! That's, what, that's exactly what I thought, okay. <laughs> there was a Cowboy fan in our service last night and we had to throw him out, okay. <laughs> Okay, there's, I, there's one right back here. I, I, I know him personally. He's a good guy. But uh, we're going to have to get the uh, security. security. Yeah. Okay, there's, there's probably more Cowboy fans. We'd like to see Cardinals win, but oh my goodness, if they don't play any better than what they've been playing, it's going to look pretty sorry. Better start praying right now. Hey, that's all trivial stuff that I just talked about. Here's the real stuff right now. If you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles, grab your notes. Big picture parenting, 15 Foundational Principles. We've taken a break uh, from the Gospel of Luke, that series for three weeks. Taking a look at this series, five principles every week, 15 altogether. And this is part two, heart. In this three-week series, we are learning how God parents us and how we can impact the next generation. This is every adult Christian's responsibility. This, this series is for everyone. This is for all of us that are adults, that are Christians, that want to pass on our faith to the next generation. And so listen up. This is for all of us. And, and more importantly, you're going to see really how God parents us. And some of us need to be reparented. And desperately need that and begin to see how God loves us and cares for us and hear his truth and let it transform our lives. I've shared this story with you before. Uh, it's been a bit of, about a year or so, but let me share it again. And um, it's called Sing to Me Again, Daddy. And, and maybe you've heard the story of a man in a grocery store with his two-year-old son. His son was cranky, whiny, crying, and irritated. The kind of thing you've seen before in other people's children. And uh, the dad tries everything he can to try and calm this kid down. And at one point, he is walking through the store. Calm down, Billy. Take a deep breath, Billy. You're very mature, Billy. You can handle this, Billy. A woman sees him and says to him, you are very patient with your son, Billy. He says, no, my son's name is Thomas. I'm Billy. We've all been there before, haven't we? We've all been there before. No one gives grace better than those who know they desperately need grace themselves. We talked about that last week, the first weeks, grace. Talked about grace, and, and I, I shared with you that uh, parenting isn't natural. It's not natural, it's, it's supernatural. We need a lot of grace. If you weren't here with us last weekend and heard that message, you need to go online and listen to it or get our DB app and go on there and listen to it. So this is part two. And so last week, grace. This week, heart. Next week, character. So let's talk about heart. Grab your sermon notes there. Look at the intro. If you can understand these truths at the intro part of this, you're gonna understand heart more clearly. The Bible uses the word heart some 900 times. And this is where God... Kind of changes us, transforms us. Listen to what, uh, listen to what really the Bible teaches us about the heart. There is a major difference between a morally restrained will and a supernaturally transformed heart. You need to know the difference between the two. We want our children. We want to have supernaturally transformed hearts, not just morally restrained will. That's more extrinsic motivation. This is we're talking more intrinsic motivation. Fear and pride can restrain the will, but only grace can transform the heart. God's favor, God's unmerited favor in our lives, his presence in our lives. The key to life change is not the acts of the will but the loves of the heart. I think that's a Saint Augustine quote. I tried to see uh, tried to find the source, couldn't find it, but I've been quoting that for years. It's a great quote. The key to life change is not the acts of the will. So we tend to focus on behavior modification. And we, even when we want to change something in our own life, we tend to focus on the externals. It's really more about the loves of the heart. Why is that? Because you are what you love. You are what you love. Your behavior follows ultimately what's most important to you. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also, Matthew 6, 21. So the goal of parenting... Is, is that we want to have responsible adults who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and then love their neighbors as themselves. That's kind of where we're headed, what we want to see in our lives and in the lives of our kids. And so we got some work to do here this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Once again, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. We know that nothing is more important than being your tool to form a human soul other than, first and foremost, knowing you, loving you, enjoying you. Our kids will make you a priority in their lives by watching us make you a priority in our lives. God, you never, you never call us to a task without giving us what we need to do. You never send us without going with us. And so we pray, go with us, empower us to be the adults, the leaders, the parents you want us to be maximizing our impact in this next generation for your glory and their eternal good in Jesus' beautiful and holy name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Here's your first fill in the blank on your notes, number six, we've already looked at five. Here's number six. If you are not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ, you will look for identity in your children. You will look for identity in your children. We talked about that a little bit last week. Let's, Let's stay here a little longer. This is really an important point and you'll see also, you need a set of notes to follow along. I've got some sub ideas, some thoughts to expound on this point. They're right underneath that. They're not filling the blanks just to help you to see what we're talking about here. So, if you are not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ, you will look for identity in your child or in your children. There are only two places for you to find your identity. You guys know that, don't you? There's only two places you can find your sense of identity. It's either going to be found in creation horizontally or vertically. In the Creator, you have no other choice. Everyone's going to find their sense of identity. When we talk about identity, we're actually talking about your meaning, purpose, and happiness in life. Where do you find your ultimate sense of meaning, purpose, and happiness? What makes life worthwhile for you? You're living for something. It's either going to come from something that's horizontal, something in creation, or it's going to come from the Creator. You have no other choices. That's it, and all of us are doing that. Now, I was talking to a friend this last week. He told me about his aunt that lost her two children, and obviously she was devastated, and she said to them, I've lost my meaning, my purpose in life. I have no more meaning and purpose to live. Sound familiar? Have you ever heard anybody say that? What would you say to that person? that your, your meaning is gone because your children are gone? No, 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 you had meaning before you had children. Now listen to me, parents, God did not give you children to make your life worthwhile. Your life was already worthwhile before you had children. It's because you were created by God for God to give glory to God, to find your deepest delight in Him, to know Him, to experience Him. And that applies to all of our, uh, every area of our life. By the way, whether you're married or not married, whether you have kids or don't have kids, however your kids may turn out, whether it's good or bad, or whether you land that career or go to that university or college that you had always hoped to go to, that's not what matters most. What matters most is that no matter what your lot is in life, you can st- still find your deepest satisfaction. Not in those things, not in created things, but in the creator. Because see, what we typically do naturally, it's a tendency within our hearts, is we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. It's Romans 125. It's called sin. It's called idolatry. And man, does it wreck havoc in our lives and in fact, the next kind of sub-point here is that trying to get your identity from your child is very natural and hard to fight, but it's not wise in a crushing burden on your children. Now, why is it not wise? Well, it's not wise to look for your identity from a foolish, lost, rebellious, blind, self-ruling sinner, okay? Does that make sense? I mean, that's your child. That's all of us before Christ. And so it just doesn't make sense that you're going to build your sense of identity on the this little midget de- demon, this little, I mean, uh, you know, as I said, and, and I use that affectionately. Um, no, really, I do. Uh, those little sweet, sweethearts. But they're midget demons. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, but th- we all are. We all are. It's just not wise. And it's crushing. It's a crushing burden because anything you love more than God, you will crush it under the weight of your unrealistic expectations. And see, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get from it what you should be getting from from God. And we do that with our career, we do it with our kids, we do it with our marriage. And that's what creates a lot of the problems in all of those areas of our life. We're meant to, to live out of an abundance of finding our sense of meaning and identity and worthwhileness in life and our happiness in life from God. And then out of that abundance, then we can make the decisions that are necessary in our life. That's just how God's wired us up. Now, how do we know that we're doing that? I gave you kind of a list, kind of a punch list here. Besides the fact that whatever captivates your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. So if your children captivate your, your imagination, your heart, in other words, if you worry a lot about your kids, well, that's dominating your thoughts. It's probably stirring your deepest emotion. It's called idolatry. You've misplaced your identity. Or what do you daydream about? That's another way that you can begin to identify what's most important to you. But let me go through this list. How do you know? First, too much focus on success. You're too concerned about the success of your kids. And typically it works like this. You focus more on academics, athletics, musical ability, and social likability than you do on attitude, character, integrity, faithfulness, and generosity. You tend to focus on the externals more than the internals of their life and the the success of, of that. Number two, too much concern about reputation. It's more about extending your legacy than God's. It's more about making you look good rather than God. Number three, too great a desire for control. You don't give your child the age appropriate freedom to evaluate choices, make decisions, and then face the consequences of their decisions. I'm going to talk more about that as we work through the notes here. And uh, number four, too much emphasis on doing rather than being. It's more about behavior modification. I just want them to mind, I just want them to obey. Well, it's gotta be more than that. It's gotta be much more than that. It's really about their heart. And so we focus more on behavior modification than heart transformation. Number five, too much temptation to make it, to, to make it personal or to take it personal. Their success tends to go to your head. It inflates you. And then their failure goes to your heart. It deflates you. So when your kids aren't doing well. Oh you're devastated. You're inconsolable. And it makes sense. Because if that's your identity. <laughs> you're wrecked. You're not even going to be able to respond to it appropriately. You can't be assistance to them. Because your you're God's failing you. it's letting you down. And so. That's all really important. I love. I uh, love. This whole series is based on the book uh, by David Paul Tripp, Parenting, and he gives a really great illustration of what that might look like in our lives. He tells the story about making cinnamon rolls here. This is what he says. I make the best cinnamon rolls in the universe. Sorry, there's just no doubt about it. It's one of the things I like to do on our family vacations. And when I make them, I know what's going to happen. That gorgeous smell will pull my children out of bed and down the hallway. They will bow at my feet and say, Our life is good because we have a Father who makes cinnamon rolls. So it's early in the morning, and I'm the only one up, and I am making the cinnamon rolls, thinking about the delight to follow. Finally, they're in the oven, and the house is beginning to be enveloped in the beautiful smell. I position myself on a chair that looks down the hallway, anticipating the worship that is to come. One of my sons appears, and instead of praising my existence, he says these shocking words, Dad, can I make something else for breakfast? I want to say, are you an idiot? (laughs) Of course you can't make something else. Why in the world would you? But I hold my tongue as he explains that his wife, interloper in the family that she is, doesn't like to eat sweet things for breakfast. So she's going to make some scrambled eggs. Eggs, eggs, beaten up former embryos? (laughs) I know I shouldn't be angry, but I am. I know this isn't personal, but to me, it is. Now we're at the breakfast table and my son's wife positions herself right in front of that big pile of cinnamon-oozing wonderfulness. I know she will break down and take one, but she doesn't. Every bite of those eggs bothers me. I know scrambled eggs are soft, but I think I can hear her chewing and it drives me crazy. I can't believe she's rejected my transcendent roles for her eggs. Now what what is this all about? He he goes on now think of what that whole scene is driven by. Driven by misplaced misplaced identity. He says here, it's our tendency to make parenting about our little kingdom of wants and needs and desires and our tendency to want our children to serve the purposes of our kingdom rather than submit to the purposes of God's kingdom. Misplaced misplaced identity. So how do we place our identity on Christ look at this uh, these two verses second Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 these are great verses oh my goodness. <laughs> This is where our identity is. This is, it talks about our identity. In fact, let's read these verses together and aloud. You guys ready? Nice and loud? All together? One, two, three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become part partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Oh, my goodness. Those verses are out of this world. They're absolutely amazing. That's our identity. I've memorized the first couple verses there, especially that first one. Those are great memory verses here. Now, This is what you need to know. Regardless of whether you have kids or don't have kids or whether your kids are doing well or not doing well, you are deeply and faithfully loved by the most important person in the universe. You have everything you need in him. That's what those verses are saying. That's our identity. Our identity is in Christ. And because he loves you, he has given you his power. Do you see that? His divine power. Power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness and because he loves you, he has, he has given you his presence. That's the next part, verse four, by which he has, oh, I'm sorry, the, the, through the knowledge, I just totally missed that, didn't I? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge, still in verse three, through the knowledge, that's the presence of God. Because he loves us, he's given us his presence, knowledge, intimacy with God who has called us by his glory and excellence. Because he loves you, he's given you purpose in your life. Your life is worthwhile because your life is about glory, his glory and his excellence. And then verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Because he loves you, he's given you this whole book packed full of promises, did you know that we struggle with inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression because we forget His promises? We forget all about His promises for us. And because He loves us, He's given us His promises so that through them you may become partakers. Because He loves us, He's given us pleasure unlike anything in this world, partakers of His of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. So how do we overcome sin? By finding our satisfaction in Him. We're partakers of the divine nature, pleasure in Him that exceeds any pleasure in this world. Amazing, that's our identity. Oh my goodness. We could spend the rest of our lives just reflecting and meditating and enjoying and celebrating what we have, what we have in those verses. And so, before we move on, really important for you to get this and for you to understand this. How many uh, have ever flown in a plane? Show of hands. Okay. Most everybody. Anybody here, anybody here never have flown in a plane? Show of hands. Show of hands. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? One person, one person in the first service. Nobody last night. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. I'm just joking. I didn't do that just to pick on you or anything, but, but you, you, I think you'll, you'll probably understand. Most people will understand this. So when you're taxiing in the airplane, you're getting ready to take off, what's going on there? You've got um, the flight attendants give you safety instructions before the flight. You guys familiar with that? And typically it goes, it goes something like this. If we encounter excessive turbulence causing the cabin to lose pressure, something will happen. What will happen? Anybody? Oxygen mass drops down. If you're sitting next to a child, what are you supposed to do? exactly exactly what you most everybody said said put the mask on yourself first and then your child what's the problem here do they not do they not like children (laughs) (laughs) they hate children no 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 because they know that if you die your kid's gonna die they know if you don't get the oxygen your kid's got not gonna make it your child's existence is based on and survival is based on your survival you better get the oxygen on your face, and then you take care of your child. Does that make sense? No? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Let's, let's apply that spiritually. And I had our children's pastor, and we were talking about this. Children's uh, pastor and youth pastor said this. He said it with a great deal of urgency, and I'm going to say it to you with a great deal of urgency. If you don't get it, your kids aren't going to get it. If you don't walk with Christ, if you don't know him, if you don't experience him, if you don't find your deepest delight in him, they're not getting it. It doesn't matter what school you send them to. It doesn't matter all the things that you do and the church you go to and whatever it is. It's more about you. You're the primary caregiver. You're the one that's gonna lead them spiritually more than anybody else. You gotta get the oxygen on your face and then you can help your child with theirs. Now, my wife said something really profound last night because we've heard this from a lot of couples. They said, well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to find a church that has a really good children's and youth department, it doesn't matter about us. If we can just find something for our kids, what is, what is that about? She says, in essence, they're putting the mask on the child before they're putting it on themselves. And I'm telling you, what you need to do is you need to find a church that feeds you as a parent and then be concerned about your child because you need it more than they need it. So, because you can't give what you don't have. You're the primary giver spiritually to your child. You need to know that. You need to remember that. You need to live that out. Now, we try to do the very best we can here. I think we have a great uh, children's department. We're doing everything we can. My heart is for our kids. Our heart is for our kids here. We're going to do everything we can. And we're going to try to hit it on both sides. We want a good, great kids program and all of that. By the way, I've actually seen parents do that. They take their kids to what they think is the best youth and children's program in the world and I've seen their kids still go south because it wasn't about the great program. It was more about the parents and about what was going on in their home. That was what was more important. And by the way, let me just say once again, for parents, you're only responsible for the what? The process, not the product. Only the process. God's responsible for The product. You can, even, you can do the very best you can and kids can still go south. But you need to do the very best you can and you yourself, you need to get that oxygen mask on first and take care of you first and foremost and then that will pass on. Then you can pass on, on to your kids. Okay, enough said. Oh, woo. Man alive. This, this guy's fired up this morning. This is my third go around, okay? By the time you hit the third time around, you just never know what I'm gonna say in here. It's almost scary. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Number seven. You must be committed as a parent to long-view parenting because change is a process and not an event. You must be committed as a parent to long-view parenting because change is a process and not an event. Now, we go back to how... The Father parents us. We always go back to how God parents us, and this is, this is true about how God parents us. The Father's work of justification is an event. The Father's work of justification is an event, but his work of transformation is literally a lifelong process. This is one of the most stunning things about the Christian life that just blew me away a number of years ago as I began to understand this more clearly, is that by grace through faith in Christ, as I put my faith in Christ immediately, What do I have? I go from being an enemy of God to his dearly beloved child. Not by anything I've done, but by everything that Christ has done for me on the cross. So, by grace through faith in Christ, immediate status change. And so, what is that? That's positional righteousness. I'm perfect before him, positionally. Practically, not so much. I'm his child. I don't live like it, I need a lot of help. So I've got positional righteousness, and it's out of that positional righteousness, then I begin to live practically. It's called practical righteousness. That's called sanctification. The first is called justification, and it's in the context of relationship. He begins to transform my life, and that's called practical righteousness. And so what's so cool about this whole thing is that God loves and accepts us as we are. It's called justification. But he loves us too much to let us stay that way. And that's called sanctification. You see, what's amazing about it is that his love for us is not performance-based. Did you earn his love? I mean, I hear people say, I just got to get my act together. I know I need to get back on track. I need to, why? What, why? Why? Well, because because you're going to earn his love because he's going to bless you somehow. He's already blessed you. You're just not living in the reality of it. Embrace it. Accept it. Understand. It's called unmerited favor. You have it through Jesus Christ. You just don't believe that. You don't understand that. You're not living in the reality of that. If you can't earn it, you can't unearn it. It's not based on your performance. But believe me, the more you understand that, the more you live in the reality of it, that's what transforms your heart. And so he connects before he corrects. He connects before he corrects and he corrects so that we can connect with him even more and experience the fullness of life only he gives. So he connects, so we connect with him, we have relationship with the creator of the universe and yeah, of course, in that context he convicts us not to shame us but to grow us, to love us so that we can experience more of what he has for us. It's amazing, spectacular. Context is love, context is grace and in the context, He corrects us and works in our lives. You've heard this statement before. Rules, rules without relationship lead to what? Anybody? Rebellion. I see that happen all the time. Parents bring a bunch of rules, but it's not in the context of relation, not much relationship there, and it's going to lead to rebellion. But rules in the context of relationship leads to respect and love and honor. See, we, because we understand the, the father heart of God, when you understand that, when he brings correction to you, yeah, you're going to respond to it. You surrender to his, to his love and what he's wanting to do. Now, look at this verse, 1 Timothy 1.16. Uh, Paul t- talks about that to young Timothy. Let's read this verse together aloud. You guys ready? Here we go. One, two, three. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So you notice this. So I've received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, foremost what? Foremost sinner. I'm a mess. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. He's been patient with me. He's still working on my life. I'm, an un, I'm unfinished. God is working as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So you must parent with a process mentality as an unending conversation and with an unfinished project mindset. Hey, listen, listen. You are an unfinished project, parents, just as much as your children are. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's scary. Yes, it is. You're unfinished, they're unfinished, but you must parent with a process mentality. It's gonna take some time, process mentality as an unending conversation. Keep the conversation going, discussing it, talking it over with your kids and with an unfinished project mindset. Our kids didn't learn to walk and talk overnight. The same is true morally, spiritually, and relationally. Kids don't become mature in two or three dramatic moments but in 10,000 little moments. (laughs) Sorry, yes. Parents, do you ever get tired of repeating yourself to your kids? Any parents out there feel like, oh my goodness, I've told them a billion times? Does the Bible ever repeat itself to us? Oh yes, yes it does. Does Pastor Ray ever repeat himself? Oh yes, oh my goodness. I've heard all this before. Yeah, but are you living it? Probably not. You need to hear it again. You're welcome. That's why I tell you, it's called gospel amnesia. <laughs> I mean, we forget. What, I'm a Christian? Yeah, 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 you're a Christian. You're a child of God. Why are you acting like that, by the way? You don't know that, you don't remember that. You forgot that. Yep, 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 yep. We too easily forget, so do our kids. We need reminders. In fact, I believe that the Bible would be probably about half this, or about a quarter of this. But it just, it repeats itself over and over again. So what, what is this? This is moment by moment pouring into your child affection, affirmation, accountability, and authority, looking for incremental changes into responsible adults who love God and others. See, our desire for, for overnight change gets us into trouble. We just want overnight change, and it kind of gets us into trouble. And I'll never forget this. I worked out at Palo Verde for about four years. I was a pipe fitter welder out there. It was about 12 hours, and so Nancy obviously would do all the shopping and do everything throughout the day with the kids, and so when our kids were small, she'd take them uh, to the shopping center to one of the big grocery stores, and the kids, they were, for the most part, pretty well-behaved. Nancy did a great job, and so Russell would hang onto the basket on one side, Ryan on the other side, Natalie was inside the basket, and, um, and so I'll never forget this. I remember the kids one of these one day, one evening, saying this to their mommy. Mommy, why do you always talk like this when we are in the store with you? (laughs) Clenching their teeth. And uh, so Nancy, Nancy responded by saying because I've told you a thousand times not to touch anything in the store, and I'm trying to control myself from making a scene by tearing your arm off. <laughs> you little precious gift from God. <laughs> now, there were certainly times when, uh, when Nancy would have the basket full of groceries, and she'd have to leave the basket right there. You three kids, we're going outside right now. I mean, she'd take them outside and discipline them, and then she'd come back in. There's the basket. Let's go at it again. And so this is what we learned over time is that anger never motivates, only action motivates. Forget all the counting. You know, I'm going to count to 10. If you don't get over here, you're busted. Well, the kids are going to push you right to the limit, okay? They're really smart. They go, well, dad never loses it until he... He's really tired and so they kind of know all the criteria about how you are and how you're wired up and how far they can push you and so especially if you never follow through they know they could just keep doing whatever they're going to do because you never follow through and you can get angry at them anger doesn't motivate you don't even have to get angry you don't have to get angry action motivates you just show them that you mean business and so what you have to do is that you got to define the boundaries before they are enforced Obviously, in the context of love, a, a tons of affirmation and, and affection, and then enforce the boundaries when they are violated. Be consistent. Be consistent. If you're not consistent, you're you're raising a, a you're raising a yo-yo. Okay, up and down, up and down, back and forth. They don't, they don't know whether they're coming or gone. Yesterday they were ticked off. Yesterday, oh, watch out, mom's mom's on the warpath. It's like that's just emotionally unhealthy. Okay. So there's got to be stability, there's got to be consistency, and once they violate the boundary, oh, you violated the boundary, I'm sorry, here come the consequences, come on over here. And so, and so you've got to bring the consequences with each time, and over time, they will see, oh, I can't cross that boundary because they mean business, and you've got to do it consistently, that's important. Discipline is the force or pressure used or the pain used to direct the attitudes and the actions of your children. And uh, it could be hard conversations, timeouts, loss of privileges, etc., any number of things. And, uh, and so that's hard. That's, that's hard work. Uh, number eight. As a parent, you're not dealing just with bad behavior, but a condition that causes bad behavior. As a parent, you're not dealing just with bad behavior, but a condition that causes bad behavior. A couple verses here. We'll read them aloud and together. You guys Ready? Here's the first one, Luke 19.10. Here we go, one, two, three. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus, yeah. He came to seek and to save the lost. Who's the lost? That's all of us. That's us and our kids. So what is lostness? That's the condition of our kids. That's our condition before Christ, lostness. Well, the next verse tells us that, Romans 3.23. Let's read this verse together and aloud, 1, 2, 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What in the world does that mean? And that means we find anything and everything more desirable, more satisfying than God. That's what that means. We fall short of the glory of God. We don't live for his glory. We want to live for our own glory. We want to live for the glory of something else, marriage, kids, Career, money, any number of things called idolatry. So we all all have sinned, we misplace our identity, and fall short of the glory of God. We fail to see how desirable He is, how satisfying He is. We're deceived. We think there's other things out there that will satisfy us more than Him. And so that's that that's that fallenness, that's that lostness. Psalm fifty one, five, David in his repentance psalm, he says this, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin, did my mother conceive me? What does he mean by that? We are sinners by nature and by choice. We are sinners by nature and by choice. So disobedience, foolish choices, sibling conflict, laziness, etc., are symptomatic of your child's lostness. So what you see in their behavior, that's coming from a faulty belief system. What you see is the fruit of their lives, the bad fruit, it's from a root system. By the way, this is really a good way to just diagnose your own issues. If you're going through a real tough time right now and you're just like freaking out um, inconsolably, you know, inordinately, I mean, yeah, there's, there's sadness in all of our lives because of the fallenness of this world. But if you're inconsolable, it's because you gotta go back to the root. What's the root? What's your belief system? What are you saying about God? Because obviously you don't really believe that God is for you. You don't really believe that. If you did, if you really understood that and walked out the implications of that, that would change the way that you respond to the difficulties of life or any, any number of things that you kind of navigate to. So, so what you do, so you, your, your behavior is a product of your beliefs, your fruit, product of your root system. You got to go back to your roots. And What is your root system? What are you saying to yourself? What is, what are you believing? What are you trusting in? Don't you believe that God is for you not against you? Don't you know that he's, he'll never leave you or forsake you? So you've got to go back to that and, and uh, remind yourself of that. Now, as it relates to this uh, root, fruit, beliefs, behavior, what's interesting about this is that some children are born compliant, ready to cooperate, easy to fit in with whatever's happening. Just say the word, Mom. Just say the word, Dad. I'll do whatever you want me to do. They're very compliant. And then others are born with a look in their eye that says, I'm going to push you to the limit every single day for the first seven years of my life. (laughs) It's going to be ugly. Go ahead and make my day. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about there? I think every family needs one of each, okay? (laughs) And oftentimes I've had, uh, I've seen uh, couples, they they have a child that's very compliant, and they're going, well, this is easy. And I'm thinking, wait until the next one, okay? <laughs> next one probably won't be so easy. But, uh, but regardless of whether they're controlling or compliant, all children have a sinful nature and all are lost, and they believe these two lies. Two lies every lost child believes. One is autonomy. My life belongs to me, and I can do with it whatever makes me happy. Sound familiar? Sounds very American. Sounds like what we promote here. Yeah, it's all about you. It's all about your happiness. Well, that's not true. You're created by God. He owns you. Oh, by the way, he redeemed you. He bought you at an amazing price. It was indispensable. It was unbelievably costly. It was the death of his son for you. So you belong to him. So you're going to want to live for him and serve him and honor him. Here's the second lie. Second lie is self-sufficiency. I have everything I need inside myself to be what I need to be and to do what I need to do. Wrong. You need God and you need others. You need community. Now, children need insight into their lostness, compassion about their lostness, and hope in Christ for their lostness. Little Freddie's temper was cute at age two. Too cute for parents to worry about. Ah, He'll grow out of it. It wasn't as nearly as cute at age 12 when Freddie kept getting in trouble at school for fighting. And when he gave his wife a black eye at age 22, it wasn't cute at all. And when he threw his son through a screen door at age 32 and nearly killed him, then humor had turned to horror. Years tend to multiply the consequences. Number nine. One of the foundational hard issues in the life of every child is teaching and modeling the protective beauty of authority. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children... Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I mean, just one quick glance, glimpse of that. And glance at that, you begin to say, hey, what is, okay, that's, that's really good. That's good counsel. And it kind of gives us a little bit of an understanding of our culture today. So really, as the family goes, so goes Society. So goes society. So how goes society? How goes society? Not so good. So it's back to the home, isn't it? It's back to right here. It's back to what it's saying here. By the way, the home is only as good as the, as the couple, the family, based on. So as a, as a man goes, so goes the, the marriage. And as the marriage goes, so goes the, so the family. As the family goes, so goes society. I mean, the Bible's given us some really wise counsel here. So children come into the world as self-appointed little self-sovereigns. Therefore, you've gotta start early. You've gotta start early. Babies are born small because babies are born sinful. Imagine the terror in your home if you had a 200 pound toddler going through the terrible twos. Imagine the terror of giving birth to that 200-pound baby. I mean, you, you don't want to be fighting authority battles with a 17-year-old, and yet I've seen people do that because they didn't deal with it when they were young, and they begin to grow into this rebellious kind of attitude. And my sister, vicky I was reminded of it this last week as I was studying through this. My sister, Vicki, used to say, children are born small so that they won't kill us (laughs) and they are born cute so that we won't kill them (laughs) now real quick turn to the person next to you and ask them this question what are the three god-ordained entities of authority that god has uh, established here in our in our world three god-ordained entities of authority real quick discuss it with the folks sitting around you How many realize that that answer is on your notes? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> open book, open book test, there you go. Yep, I want you to know the answer. So take a look at that. Authority is God-ordained, family, church, government, for our protection, provision, and prosperity. Romans 13.1 makes that clear. In 1 Samuel 15.23 says that when you rebel against God's established authority, that says the sin of witchcraft, it's, it's demonic. So we got a ton of demonic activity going on in our world today. When it comes to family, people flipping off their family. When it comes to church, ah, I don't need to go to church. I can do whatever I want to do. No authority there. How about the government? Oh, my goodness, a lot of conflict there. <laughs> That's scary. So you, you look at the trajectory currently of America today. It's not, we're not heading in a real good, really a healthy place. We're headed towards destruction. And, and so God established this for our protection, provision, prosperity. Of course, the question is, is there ever a time when you should rebel against family, church, and government? Yes, yeah, absolutely. When they tell you to do something that violates God's word. It's like the a good example of that would be the civil disobedience of Martin Luther King Jr. When he stood up for what was right there with, with a lot of the racism that was going on. Authority is all about serving and showing the love and the truth of God. That's the purpose of authority. That's what God has established for authority. It was interesting. My wife uh, was uh, in the store. She told me this story years ago, and it was, it was amazing. So she's in the store with our three kids. Natalie's in the, in the shopping cart, and a woman comes up and says, Oh, what a gorgeous girl. She's so beautiful, and just raves over our daughter. And so Nancy said, Tell the lady, tell the woman, thank you, and as Nancy said that to Natalie, the woman says, well, that's what I hate. I hate it when parents push their morals and values on their kids. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. So that's based on on the error of the open-mindedness that I hear among parents and among those in our culture. We're going to allow our children to come to their own spiritual conclusion without any parental prejudices. I've actually, I've I've got family members that actually believe that. That sounds so American, but so wrong. See, this is based on the assumption that it is possible for a kid to grow up in a value-free environment. We are bombarded with values every day, through TV, radio, social media, schoolmates, teachers, et cetera. There is no such thing as a value-free environment. The real issue is who is going to impress what values on your children? Who and what? Who's gonna impress those on your child and what are they gonna be? That's our responsibility as parents. I'm here to help you with that, I love you guys. I want us together to make sure that we're the ones that are impressing those values, those truths upon our children's hearts that they understand. You're not an accident, you're here by divine design. You're his masterpiece, he loves you. Truth isn't a matter of taste. Morality isn't a matter of opinion. That'll take you out. That'll destroy your life, for the wages of sin is death. Yes, 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 sin fascinates, but in time, it will assassinate you. It will take you out, because that's how God is established. That's part of his order, and it's because he loves you. You don't break God's laws. You break yourself against his laws, and when you break his laws, you trample on his love and wisdom, and you break his heart. Because he loves you. See, that's what our kids need to know. They need to know that there's a sense of right and wrong. They need to see the heart of God in all of that. And that's, that's all part of that. And uh, who's going to answer the big questions in the life of your children? Where they come from, their origin. Why are they here? There's their purpose. Where are they going? That's their destiny. Those are important questions. That's why we have the New City Catechism. That's why we've been working through that. We encourage you to get that. You can pick up a copy of that in a coffee shop or just download it on, as an app and take them through the Bible. Get them, get them into the Bible. I was raised with a, with a family that would actually use, don't don't use, listen to me, don't use the Bible to discipline your kids. What I mean by that is this couple thought that they were doing their kids a service by when they disciplined them, you go in your room and you memorize scripture. <laughs> What do you think? You think that helped them? Did that endear their heart towards Jesus? <laughs> not hardly. They despised God. They despised God's word. God's word is not about punishment, it's about pleasure. Listen to me. His words are sweet to my taste. It's like honey on my lips. When I study God's word, I'm, I'm encountering the living God who loves me and gave his life for me. That's, a, that's amazing. Well, how do we know there is a God? He's, we know that he's, because he's revealed himself to us through creation and conscience and commandments. He wrote it down. We can encounter him through his word and oh, oh, he showed up here through Christ. So we can know him. We can experience him. That's what our kids need more than anything. I, uh, and listen, parents. I, I see parents put out all kinds of money—one, two hundred, three hundred dollars—just for their sports and their music for their kids. And they won't drop a single buck to buy their kid a to, to buy their kid a good study Bible with their name on it. Come on, we got to get better at that. And if your kids are kind of getting into the elementary, older elementary age, or getting into junior high, get them a study Bible. Get them into the book. Study it with them. Ooh, okay, we're almost finished here. Here we go. Number 10. The foolishness inside your child is more dangerous to them than the temptation outside of them. Only God's grace has the power to rescue fools. We're so concerned about this world. Oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. What am I going to do? I got to protect my child. Oh. No, actually, the, it's the sinfulness in your child inside your child. The foolishness inside your child is more dangerous to them than the temptation outside of them. Only God's grace has the power to rescue fools. Let me give you some advice from, from Mark Twain. <laughs> Mark Twain? He actually has some uh, parenting advice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. Seriously. Here we go. This is what he says. Things move along pretty smoothly until your kid reaches age 13. At that time, Stick him in a barrel. (laughs) Hammer the lid down tight. Tight and snug and feed him through the knot hole. (laughs) About the time they turn 16, plug up the knot hole. (laughs) I told you it was good advice. Okay, now why would I share that? I have no idea why I shared that. Actually, I, I, I do, because we, it's almost like we have this mindset, we're going to stick them in a barrel. We're just going to keep them from the world. We're going to protect them. No, listen, it's not, about, it's not about isolation. It's about insulation. It's about insulating them. You don't want your kids to be naive. You want them to be innocent. There's a major difference between naivete and innocence. I've seen a lot of kids go out into the world, and they were very naive, and it took them out. You want them innocent, and so you need to give them age-appropriate info to deal with this fallen world. And if I, I if I could do it over again, if I could do it over again, this is what I would do differently. Now I get a chance to do it with my kids, my grandkids and then the kids of this church is that that and this is what I've learned through the years. If you only tell your children what to do and you don't teach them how to think for themselves from a biblical worldview, you set them up to fail. You want them to start thinking on their own from a biblical worldview and begin to navigate through the issues and see the, how broken and fallen this world is and yet God's power is greater and all of who God is and how he helps us to navigate that. I remember when my kids first came and they were kind of in those junior high years, I didn't respond very well, okay? And my kid would say, hey, dad, I don't think there's anything wrong with watching an Eddie Slasher movie. I was like, what? Get over here. I'm going to work you over. What do you mean? You don't think anything wrong with that. You're never going to go to one of those. See, what I would do differently is I would lecture less and listen more. And I would ask questions like, oh, my goodness, that surprises me. But inside, I'm going, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I've taught you better than this. You know, there's all those things. you got that conversation going on. You're just like try to calm yourself. It's like... Calm down, calm down. I would have asked them more questions. So what, where'd, you, where'd you come up with that? Why are you thinking that? What's going on in your heart? So, I would have explored more in their heart. Say, so, okay, so you Christian? I thought you were Christian. Didn't we baptize you? We should have held you down a little bit longer, huh? Okay, maybe that wasn't right. Shouldn't have said that. But I'm thinking, I'm, it's like, okay, who's God? What has He done? Who are you in light of Him? And how does that relate to how you navigate life? Kind of those questions. You kind of walk them through that, you know. And he even the kids there for a while, they were listening to music. It was just horrible, just with all sorts of profanity. I was like, Hey, wait, 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 wait. What in the world's going on here? And so we dialogue a little bit. And even whatever they're saying, you're just like, You're not going to listen to it in our place, okay? That's just all there is to it. But, but there was, we, we certainly had standards, but I would have in, inquired a little more. I would have helped him to think a little bit more clearly about those things. You see, it, it, if you only tell your child what to do and you don't teach them how to think for themselves from a biblical worldview, I mean, I'm telling you, when they go out on their first date, they go off to college or they go into the workforce, before long, they're going to be breaking commandments like everybody else. They're not going to have the defense that they need holiness, holiness is being so satisfied in Christ that sin loses its appeal. So our kids need to know not only what they believe, but why they believe what they believe. 80% of our Christian kids defect from the faith in college. Did you know that? That's, that's horrible. 80% of our kids, and I think it's because they don't, they don't know what they believe, they don't know why they believe what they believe, they don't have this big view of God and his word. They don't see God, as I said last week, they don't see God as being great, they don't have that sense of the greatness of God. Wow, wow. And they don't have that goodness of God either, that mmm. Because people defect from the faith primarily for two reasons. One is that they become disillusioned by the pressures and the pain of life. And so, what's the remedy to that? The greatness of God. That He's bigger than anything we ever face, any of our problems. Another reason why people defect from the faith is because they're deceived. They're deceived by the pleasures of sin in this world, it's because they don't know the goodness of God that he's more satisfying than anything in this world. They're not living in the reality of that, and they're taken out. It's all about about the heart. Proverbs 4.23, let's read this verse, we're almost finished. Proverbs 4.23, let's read it together, nice and loud. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If the heart is the problem, Then what is the problem with the heart? Proverbs 22, 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from him. Psalm 1. the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you gotta know the condition of your child's heart. You gotta know the condition of your own heart. You got a closed heart versus open heart. What's a closed heart? Closed heart would be more have to. Do I have to? You kind of having to force them. And that can come because it can be rebellion. It can be hurt. They can be just hurt and they built a wall. Could be just they're being deceived by the enemy. But an open heart is want to. It's a a desire for God. That your desire for God is greater than your desire for anything else. And that's what you want. How do you do that? How do you open a child's heart? How do you parent a fool? Glory, wisdom, story, welcome. Those, Those four things. Glory. Yeah, to live in joyful awe and wonder of God. Help them to see that. You need to do that as a parent. Wisdom, seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. Help them to understand God's word and how it speaks to us and helps us, gives us this perspective of life. Seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. Story, tell the story of the person and work of Jesus Christ again and again until it sweeps their heart, grabs a hold of their heart, ravishes their heart with with who Christ is and what he's done. And then welcome God's open invitation to confess our foolishness, receive his forgiveness and eternal help. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What's the opposite of folly? It's wisdom. Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. How do we get wisdom? Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the fear of the Lord? It's joyful awe and wonder of the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us that ruins us for anything else. That's what we want for our kids. That's what I want for you. Your kids aren't going to get it if you don't get it. So your heart needs to be ravished by the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Notice he says, and the knowledge of the Holy One is inside its understanding. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Back to our story that we started with. So a man in a grocery store with his two-year-old son, his son was cranky, whiny, crying, irritated. So the father tries everything, nothing works. So finally, in desperation, he picks his son up, holds him to his chest, and starts to sing a song. I love you, Tommy. I'm glad you're my son. I like the way you sound when you laugh. I like the way your face looks. I like the way your eyes light up. I'm so glad that you're my boy, and I'm so glad I get to be your dad. Tommy's eyes get real big, he begins to get real quiet because when the child hears this song, whatever was making him fussy or sad or scared doesn't bother him anymore because he is immersed and captivated by the love of his father. So the dad sings this song all the way through the store, out into the parking lot and when they get to the car and he is strapping his boy into the car seat, Tommy's eyes get real big. And he throws his hands up and says, sing it to me again, Daddy. Sing it to me again. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. You have a Daddy, a Father in Heaven who loves you. He loves you. In fact, I want to end by praying Zephaniah 3.17. Would you bow your heads with me? Zephaniah 3.17. Bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Thank you, God, for that promise that you are here. The Lord our God is here in our midst, a mighty one who will save. You're bigger than any problem that we're facing. God, I know that there are people here facing some really big problems. Let them see that you're bigger than their problems. You will rejoice over us with gladness. You will quiet us with your love. God, I know that there are those that need need to know your perfect love so that it will chase away the fears in their life. God, I pray that you do that right now, even throughout this day. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God, thank you that no one satisfies like you. So help us to see more clearly how you parent us so that we can more effectively impact the next generation for your glory in Jesus' beautiful and holy name and everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Don't forget baptism class right over here to my left and your right.